Welcome to the podcast of Faith Presbyterian Church here in Clinton, Louisiana. I'm glad you found us. My name is Tony Piles, and I'm the pastor here. I pray this recording brings you encouragement and growth in Christ, and we would love for you to join us in person anytime you are in town. Check our website, faithchurchclinton.org, for our current schedule of worship and Bible studies. And may God bring you blessing through what you're about to hear. Thank you. Which is Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 12, and continuing to the end of the chapter. Philippians 2, beginning at verse 12. Hear now God's word. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, Upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Please be seated. Lord, would you open our eyes this morning that we may behold wonderful things in your law. Amen. A pressing question meets us at the beginning of our passage 
this morning, especially in a Presbyterian church of all places. How and why does a Calvinist work out his own salvation? So ponder that with me as we consider Paul's letter this morning. This is one of the joys and the dangers of beginning at the beginning of a book and preaching all the way through. You don't get to skip passages. You have to figure out what's going on. But we'll, we'll ponder that this morning. But Paul begins with this strange comment. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Paul hopes to come to the Philippians again. He's mentioned to them, assures them, and will mention again that he considers it very likely that he will be released from prison and will be able to visit them again. But he wants them to know that that shouldn't be the reason that they obey the things that he has to say. They shouldn't have as their motivation the fear that Paul is coming. Some of you have raised or are raising children. You know what it's like when you tell them to clean their room and tell them again and check on it and they still haven't done it versus you tell them that someone is coming to visit and so they had better clean their room. And there's a difference there. It's a bit more likely to happen in that second instance. Paul speaks to the Philippians as he's spoken to other churches and and some of them, the Corinthians in particular, seem to to fear Paul's visit and that for them is a, a motivating factor to get their lives in order. And Paul tells these Philippians that he knows that they have and they do obey and he's giving them and has given them some commands that he wants them to obey as they mature in the Lord Jesus. But don't let my visit, don't let my presence with you, my, my checking up on you, as it were, be what motivates your pursuit of holiness. It's not quite, don't make me come in there. But, as you love the Lord Jesus, as you have pursued him, as you do pursue him, and you grow toward maturity in your walk with the Lord, continue as you have to obey his commands. And so what are these commands, right? Wouldn't it be nice if they didn't need the fear of Paul's visit to to straighten up a bit? But what is it that Paul or the Lord is asking them to do through the Apostle Paul. The first thing is to work out your own salvation in verses 12 and 13. This is a difficult text that we tend to only read half of. And so I'm likely to offend half of you as I read the first part, and the other half of you as I read the second. Because Paul tells them, work out your own salvation. This is a stronger saying 
then live in accordance with what your salvation should produce. Although it certainly includes that. Paul is not telling them to, to achieve your right standing before God. But salvation is a, is a complete package. It includes justification. It includes glorification. It includes adoption. And it includes this category we like to skip called sanctification. Becoming more and more like Jesus as we obey his commands. So he tells them to work out your own salvation. The implication here is that our, our growing in Christ-likeness requires our effort. It's not something we can sit back and, and let happen. Right? That we can, can just leave it and give no attention to it and then look years from now and see how we grown and developed in maturity and look at the progress we've made. But this is something that requires your attention. If you want to become more like Christ, you must put some focus into becoming more like Christ. If you want to grow in holiness, you must follow the Lord's commands. You must work it out. Work out your own salvation, Paul says. And in the very next breath, he cuts out from under you any pride that might develop as you do so. Because we do that, don't we? Sometimes we do. We pursue holiness or we look at how God has worked in our life and then we look at our neighbor. And we Give ourselves a little pat on the back because look at what I've done. Look at what I've achieved. And Paul cuts that just right out from under you. In this next verse, verse 13. For it is God who works in you. Work out your own salvation and be proud and give yourself a hand and then have a drink because job well done. That's not what Paul says, work out your own salvation, not sit back and let it happen and be glad it does. Work out your own salvation, for it is God. The one working in you is God, both to will and to work. Both the, the desiring to grow and the doing are something that God is working in you. And we've seen here and other places how this this undercuts our pride and takes away any opportunity for us to compare ourselves with our neighbor, which we're, we're so fond of doing. But it also offers us encouragement. Because as Paul says, work out your own salvation. He doesn't say, and good luck with that. You're on your own. But he reminds us that God is at work in us. Christ has poured out the Holy Spirit on his church, not just as a corporate body, but on you as an individual. So that God is actively working to form Christ in you. We like to talk about one side of this or the other. 
that, that God is at work in me. He's granted me this, this positional or definitive sanctification so that, so that Paul calls people saints. And isn't that wonderful? And that means that what we talk about Sunday morning has nothing to do with how I go about my week on Monday. Tuesday and Wednesday night Bible study, I might need to make some adjustments, but Thursday and Friday and Saturday, it's back to, you know, and then do a lot of praying on the way to church Sunday morning after we've yelled at the kids and finally found their shoes. Never mind, starting to meddle. But we're not on our own as we pursue that. God doesn't leave us to our own devices so that we might make our best attempt at a a shambles of holiness. He's granted his spirit and is actively working in us, which means as we pursue holiness, even that desire to be like Jesus is something God has granted and empowered us for. And we can have confidence that with the ups and downs of our sanctification, we can see a measure of progress over time. As the Spirit works in us to make us more and more like the Son. Work out your own salvation, for it is God who is at work in you both the willing and the doing. And note the adverbs. Note these modifying phrases Paul throws in. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not as under threat, but in sincerity. Taking stock of what it is that we are working with and in whose presence we are developing these Godly graces. And to the glory of God, right? Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God doesn't just command these things. God doesn't just provide his spirit to grant these things, but he works these things in us, not for our boasting but because it pleases him to do so. For his good pleasure. A phrase that reminds us that although there are things for us to do, the entirety of our salvation is grounded in God's good pleasure. Work out your own salvation. There's enough to ponder there. But Paul makes it specific for the Philippians. Because sometimes we talk about holiness. We talk about putting sin to death and we leave it very general. Go and be more like Jesus. Stop sinning. Well, if I don't, I'm not convicted about particular and specific sins, it's, it's good to feel, or it's easy to feel good about myself and the progress I'm making. And so Paul zeroes in on something he's already mentioned with the Philippians, something that 
I hesitate to talk about because this is difficult for most of us. As he puts his finger on it directly in verse 14, he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. See, we're to work out our salvation with regard to specific sins. To ask for conviction, to reflect on and confess our particular sins. Particularly, not, oh Lord, I know I messed up this week, please forgive me. But Lord, the other morning when I shouted in anger at that person, that was wrong. Lord, I confess that sin to you and I ask that you would grant me forgiveness and also grant me patience and help reconcile me to this person that I have offended. This is how we grow. This is how we work out our salvation with fear and trembling to God's good pleasure is to reflect on and in regard to specific sins. And so Paul cuts to the chase with the Philippians to do all things without grumbling or disputing. He uses language that brings to mind for them the wilderness generation. As the Israelites traveled through the desert with Moses and Aaron, with the hint, perhaps, together with his his peculiar mention of the overseers and deacons at the beginning of the letter, that perhaps they're grumbling and disputing with their or against their leaders in particular. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? Why should they do this? Why should they work out their salvation with respect to specific sins? And these sins in particular. Verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Reflecting again back on that generation who God described as twisted and crooked and no longer his children. May you be the opposite of that. And may you shine as lights in the world. Like the stars set against a black night or like a lighthouse Signaling safety, signaling the reefs to avoid. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless, shining as lights in the world. And is this not a way that we often fail to shine? As we spoke earlier, as we reflected on Jesus' words, right, sometimes... We fail to shine because we take this light that we have and we hide it to divert attention away from ourselves. Sometimes the reason we don't shine is because we're not very shiny. We don't pursue these things. We don't hold fast to the word. And so people look at us and they don't see something different from the world. They just see themselves reflected back. 
That's not very attractive. But by pursuing these things, by working out our salvation, by not grumbling or disputing, which are so easy to fall into, we might shine as lights in the world. Holding fast. We do these things by or as we do these things, we also hold fast to the word of life. Where do we find instruction in how to do these things? But in these words of life, how do we see what it looks like to shine as lights in the world? But by holding fast to the word of life. What separates us from generally good, likable people who don't know the Lord, but holding fast to the word of life? That in the day of Christ, right, Paul points them again to the final judgment. By doing these things, by working out their salvation, by not grumbling, but instead being blameless and holding fast to the word of life, they might have confidence. And Paul himself might have confidence at the last judgment. Not because Paul's salvation is earned by these Philippians' conduct, but he is able to look with confidence at how the Lord will assess Paul's ministry, that he will say, well done, good and faithful Servant, rather than, we got saved us through fire. Do these things, be that you may be blameless, that you may shine as lights in the world and hold fast to the word of life as you do. Paul doesn't end here. He's talked about his troubles in verse in uh, chapter 1 and how he has responded to them, what he has done in light of them. He's pointed us to Jesus in the previous passages. He enjoins them to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. He points them to the Lord Jesus as the supreme example of that. But sometimes that just seems a little too far beyond our reach. Be like Christ. It's a lot easier to say than it is to do. And so Paul points to something a little closer. He reminds the Philippians that he himself may be poured out, right? He may yet be martyred there in Rome, and he's okay with that. He's already mentioned that he knows that that would mean that his departure, that he would immediately be with the Lord. But he can rejoice, knowing that he would just be part of this offering of sacrificial service that the Philippians are offering to the Lord. He's ready to die, should it come to that. Look to the godly examples among you, Philippians. As you work out your salvation, as you confess your sin, as you do things without grumbling and hold fast to the word of life, look to the godly examples among you. Rejoice with me, Paul says, as I face the possibility of being martyred. 
willingly, right, willing to be poured out on your behalf. May you be willing to be poured out on behalf of one another. But he also points them to Timothy and to Epaphroditus. Now there's more at work here as as the Philippians have written to Paul, they've sent Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus hasn't come back. And maybe he's supposed to stay. And they've wanted Timothy to come, it seems, and Timothy's not coming at the moment. And so Paul is both navigating that tension and at the same time pointing them to Timothy and Epaphroditus as further examples. He speaks of Timothy first and says, I'm not sending Timothy just yet, although I hope to. And I'm going to send Epaphroditus back, although you may have expected him to stay. And I'll explain those things, but both of these men are people you should look to as examples a little closer at hand, a little closer to home than the example of Christ to which I've pointed. Timothy, first thing. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, as in not yet, so that he can bring back some news of you, because Timothy is unique. Paul's talked about the situation in Rome and the people around him and these people who are enjoying preaching the gospel at Paul's expense. And so among the people at hand that Paul might send, Timothy is the only one who shares with him this like-minded and deep concern for the Philippians, who's interested in their situation in the way that Paul is. And so Paul will send him as he's able. He'll follow him closely. But Timothy is one they can look to, to see not selfish ambition, but humility and concern for the interests of others. Be like Christ. Be like me, Paul, as I imitate Christ. Be like Timothy. Not because Timothy is without fault, but because Timothy models this concern for others. And be like Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, verse 25, your messenger and minister to my need. Perhaps you were expecting he would stay and minister to my need longer. And so Paul sees that as needing some explanation. But that explanation develops why they should see Epaphroditus as an example at hand that they might imitate. Epaphroditus, who is deeply distressed for their concern for him because he nearly died as he poured himself out for the work of the gospel, as he brings probably both a letter and an offering from Philippi to Paul with the expectation that he would stay and minister with Paul. It falls ill, deeply ill, on death's door, as Paul describes it. And yet is able to complete that task and is now more concerned that the Philippians are worried about him than he is concerned about himself. And so Paul will send him back earlier than the Philippians expected. 
with this commendation and an encouragement to follow his example. Beloved, this is a reflex Paul would see developed in us. That as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that the Lord is at work in us, as we chase and put to death particular sins and especially grumbling and disputing, that we would see among us examples, not faultless people, but people who succeed where we fail, who show us what holy living looks like, both that there would be some among us who would develop their godliness so that they might stand out as examples, but that also we, as their brothers and sisters, would recognize that in them and honor them for that and be pointed to Jesus through them. Beloved, let us pray that the Lord would develop these things in us, that he would give us a deep desire, a willing to pursue this putting ourselves in our sin to death, that he would work these things in us for his good pleasure, that we would shine as lights in the world. Time that well. And that we would find among us examples we might look to, that we might be encouraged. And perhaps someday find that God has used us as an example to someone else somewhere along the line. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for Paul's unique gift that we see at work here in Philippians, of of encouraging and instructing at the same time. Lord, we pray that you would form in us that kind of skill in addressing one another, in speaking the things that need to be said in a way that points people to Jesus. And reminds one another of the things that you have done for us in him. We pray that you would develop in us this desire for holiness that Paul describes. And that you would grant among us godly examples that would encourage us as we desire to put sin to death and become more and more like your son, in whose name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the podcast of Faith Presbyterian Church here in Clinton, Louisiana. Check our website, faithchurchclinton.org, for more teaching and for our current schedule of events if you'd like to drop in. We pray this recording has been a blessing to you. Go in peace.